Antimicrobial resistance is a growing problem worldwide, as the many microorganisms that call our bodies home, ranging from the benign to the deadly, develop new ways to outsmart the medicines we've developed to destroy them. This isn't a new problem. In fact, antibiotic resistance was anticipated by Alexander Fleming, the creator of penicillin. I have a fear that when penicillin can be bought over the counter, patients will indulge in self-medication and in many cases they will not take large enough doses. If the dose is too small, the microbes will not be cured and there is a danger that they will be educated to resist penicillin. Once a microbe has been thus educated to resist a drug, it does not lose this property very quickly. Penicillin is still in use today. The World Health Organization designates it as an essential medicine. But it's becoming less and less effective, along with other antibiotics and antimicrobials, the catch-all term for drugs that kill microorganisms like fungi, parasites, viruses and bacteria. For decades, scientists have been warning about the growing threat posed by antimicrobial resistance and the possibility of being plunged back into an era when any infection was potentially deadly. Now, a project headed by the University of Technology, Sydney, is trying to rein in antimicrobial resistance, using huge amounts of data to predict where it will develop. This week, we speak to some of the scientists working on the project about how we can make sure some of our most important drugs keep working. I'm Caitlin McHugh. You're listening to Think Digital Futures. So the Outbreak project brings together a lot of different data sets to understand the location-specific and person-specific risk of a drug-resistant infection. And in particular, we're interested in resistance to antibiotics. I'm Associate Professor Branwyn Morgan at the UTS Faculty of Science. You're probably aware of the basic mechanics of antimicrobial resistance. A drug is used to treat an infection. It wipes out a certain percentage of the microorganisms it targets, but some with pre-existing resistance to the drug remain. They're free to multiply and pass on their resistance. So this is because the bacteria are able to resist the antibiotics in, in a variety of ways using natural mechanisms that is basically about um, prolonging their survival. So that might mean they might um, release what are called enzymes, which breaks up the antibiotic or chews up the antibiotic, or they might have ways to pump the antibiotic out of their system so it doesn't actually kill them. And generally, bacteria that acquire antibiotic resistance will, will often have resistance to multiple antibiotics. So there are many different classes of antibiotics. They act in different ways. And quite often, bacteria are able to resist many of these different classes of, of antibiotic. And, and that's really when it becomes... Um, quite frightening, to be honest, for, for healthcare practitioners and, and, and for, our, for our own health. It's been happening since before we started treating illnesses with antimicrobials. Antibiotic resistance is actually a, a natural phenomenon because the compounds that um, we use as antibiotics in modern medicine have generally been found in nature and they've been harnessed um, by humans and, and manufactured in large quantities to be able to treat bacterial infections or particularly bacterial infections um, that, uh, that are nasty. But the process has been accelerated by our use of antibiotics in both people and animals. 
And the phenomenon of antibiotic resistance is really because we are now producing so many antibiotics um, and there's residues everywhere in our environment that the bacteria are becoming resistant. And that's through through a biological mechanism that they, they, they pick up the ability to become more and more resistant when they um, see or sense antibiotics in their environment. And bacteria are especially adaptive. Along with passing resistance on to the next generation, they have a couple of other tricks up their sleeve. The most problematic organisms are bacteria. So look, they're going to normally evolve. That's what they do. They have fast replication rates, and every time they grow and divide, little changes happen, and that can make them resistant. This is Maurizio Labate, an associate professor in the School of Life Sciences at the University of Technology, Sydney, and another member of the Outbreak team. Other things that bacteria can do is they can share their innovations. One way is bacteria can come into touch with one another and they'll just pass the DNA on from one cell to another. The other thing that can happen is the DNA itself can just be floating in, say, a liquid environment, a pipe, and that DNA can be taken up by the bacteria and then used. So when we're talking about resistance and the spread of resistance, it's not just the bacteria that we're worried about spreading, it's the genetic information contained inside the cells that we're also worried about spreading. Resistance can be slowed down to some extent. Only prescribing antibiotics for illness caused by bacteria, making sure the correct dosage is used, and using specific narrow-spectrum antibiotics all help. And there are alternatives to antibiotics. So the bacteriophage um, research, and I know that there's some research happening at Westmead Hospital, for example, and they're having some success, is to use um, viruses that attack bacteria. So just as a, a virus like the flu or the cold will infect our cells, there are viruses that can infect bacterial cells and kill them. And so the trick is to identify and isolate these viruses, grow them up, and then use them to treat an infection. So if I give that to a person who's got an E. coli infection, for example, the virus mm -hmm. will kill um, the bacteria. Yeah. So that's bacteriophage therapy. Um, it's We've been slow, I suppose, in the Western world to take that technology up. That's happening more so now because of resistance rates increasing. Mm. Uh, but you still have to find the right virus. Yeah. You need to be sure that it's safe to use and work. And of course, um, bacteria can still become resistant to the bacteriophage. But bacteria will eventually get around whatever we throw at them. I guess the experience that I would have is that every drug that we've used, eventually a bacterium will evolve resistance. They're really crafty. They're just so good at changing and finding ways of evolving. So yeah, I think any any drug that we would be taking to inject in our body orally or whatever, I think that a bacterium would find a way of, of evolving resistance to that. What the Outbreak Project aims to do is put the brakes on resistance developing, giving scientists breathing room to develop new drugs. I think it comes down to managing the, the problem rather than thinking that we can just solve it with a new technology. Yeah. It's really about thinking. And that's why our, this is why Outbreak, I think, is quite important. Because Outbreak's trying to take this holistic view of um, antimicrobial resistance and thinking about how we can use the data to intervene in multiple ways to just reduce the uh, burden of antibiotic resistance. So how does it work? The outbreak team started with a lot of data. Too much and in some cases too confusing for people to manage. Essentially it's using sophisticated computer programs and modelling to be able to to 
correlate data and also understand data that you wouldn't physically be able to do by any other any other means because it's unstructured data it's often unformatted data it's um, gappy data or you know data with big holes in it and the only yeah. way that you can get around that is by using artificial intelligence these tranches of data aren't just handed out. It's taken liaising carefully with the organisations that collect the data to ensure private information isn't revealed. So some of the data sets that we'll be looking at are, are human healthcare data sets. So we have ethics approval to do uh, data linkage around some of those data sets, but specifically using um, populations of people that are linked through the 45 and up study in the Sachs Institute. So we have we have about 15 different partners that spread across academia, industry and government. And uh, the real value in that is these are people that have already agreed to have their information uh, used for, for research purposes, but it will be de-identified. So we won't actually get to see the raw data. There'll be a secure um, data environment and all the linking and, and uh, will be, um, will go into that uh, environment and be analysed, and then what we will get is the insights and the transformed data at a de-identified level. Outbreak uses machine learning to train algorithms to interpret this data and hopefully grow more accurate over time. The project's test area is in the Illawarra-Shoalhaven region of the New South Wales south coast. They'll know the algorithms are accurate if they can predict antimicrobial resistance in other parts of Australia. Initially, we've chosen what we call a testbed region, and this is a region where we're, we're diving really deep and to get all the different types of data that we think may be relevant to be able to allow us to build our, our risk prediction models. Mm -hmm. So this is what we call a deep dive, a deep dive in our testbed region. So really what we're doing is we're, we're setting up, um, there's a saying in our project, which is um, make it in, in the Illawarra Shoalhaven and break it in Hunter, New England, which means we would do a lot of our testing and continue to to develop our, uh, our, our primary models in the Illawarra Shoalhaven region. For, there's a number of reasons for that. And then we'll see if we can break that um, elsewhere or if indeed the assumptions and the types of data we've put together and the machine learning and the AI will actually hold up in another area. In the Illawarra Shoalhaven test site, the project is using a huge range of data sets to uncover potential sites of antimicrobial resistance, not just in humans, but livestock and the environment. It's called a One Health approach, and Maurizio says it's important for a few reasons. Traditionally, I suppose antibiotic resistance has been looked at as a medical health issue. It's kind of thought, OK, well, someone's sick, we need to treat that. And um, that's worked for a while, but now I think it's becoming more important, or has been becoming more important over the last 10 years, that we need to think about resistance in animals and in the environment, and we call that One Health. It's kind of saying that human health is linked to animal and environmental health. You can't yeah. separate them. And if you don't see what's happening in the environment and in animals, it makes it or it limits your options for kind of intervening, essentially. Yeah. And if you wait until an outbreak happens, that's pretty much the end point of the evolution of antibiotic resistance. People are already sick, people are dying, and it costs more money, I suppose, to look after them and to develop drugs. Whereas if you can intervene earlier on, um, that's going to be a cheaper option. Yeah. And it also saves lives and, and I suppose it's better for the economy when you think about it. An example of environmental monitoring is sewage sampling. You might have had COVID health alerts telling you traces of the virus have been found in your local sewage systems. This same method is being used to monitor other pathogens for outbreak. 
some of the work that's been done in outbreak would be the sewage sampling and looking at specific regions and going, well, what kind of resistant bacteria and genes are there? And that information will tell us about the kinds of genes circulating in the community. And you can feed that back to um, doctors and hospitals and say, look, we're seeing quite a high percentage of this resistance gene, which might mean that the antibiotic that you might want to prescribe next time may not work. If the project is a success and it can accurately predict where resistance will occur and how, it'll have myriad applications, human health being one important example. So one of the ways that outbreak could actually help in a clinical setting is in terms of understanding what is the uh, the local level of resistance to particular antibiotics. And that can help when thinking about which antibiotics to prescribe for a particular patient. And that could be uh, what's called empirically, so that's in the absence of knowing what, it, what actually the pathogen is that's causing the problem, but also knowing what, what the actual bacteria that is causing the infection is. Because there's different different levels of knowledge. Uh, and one of the things that we're wor- working towards is also being able to use uh, what we call genomic-based knowledge or knowing what the bacteria actually carry to understand what resistance they have. So if you can tailor antibiotics to a particular type of bacteria, you're less likely to use um, what are often referred to as the um, the atomic bomb type drugs that are really going to knock everything out, good and bad bacteria. So you get the collat- collateral damage um, And then you also, every time you use those big sort of atomic bomb antibiotics, um, you're reducing their effective lifespan because you really want to be able to target infections specifically um, and understand the level of resistance that they might have. So to know whether or not if you give an antibiotic that it's going to be the right antibiotic um, at the right time for the right person and that the infection is going to resolve. Fighting antimicrobial resistance is important for everyone. Anybody can catch an intractable, life-threatening infection. Untreatable disease in livestock could upend our food supply. Nobody wants their pet to die of some previously curable bacteria we no longer have a treatment for. It's not a problem that's solely a human problem because many of the infectious diseases seen in animals are actually the same as those seen in humans. And also many of the medicines that we give to our companion animals or our farm animals are the same as those what we give to humans. In Australia, the the last line of critically important antibiotics don't get given to animals and there are strict regulations around this. But um, generally, antibiotic resistance is a huge problem. But specific populations are at greater risk from resistant infections. Invariably, people who are already vulnerable or disadvantaged. Um, We know there's a huge antibiotic resistance burden on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Uh, Aged care residents, again, disproportionately affected, and uh, so are uh, young children. We've been using data like this to control disease outbreaks since epidemiology was invented. In 1854, the scientist John Snow used the geographical location of cholera cases in London to trace the outbreak source to a specific water pump. Now we have access to more data than Snow could have accessed in a lifetime. And with technology, we can realise its potential. This podcast is made possible with the support of the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER Community Radio. This episode was made on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded.